You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast, and I'm your host, John Clark. I'm a therapist just like you. I'm a private practice coach, consultant, whatever you want to call me, helping you build a better business without all the overwhelm. And if it's your first time here, well, I built my first practice in 2013, learned a lot of things the hard way out in San Francisco, and then started teaching therapists what I had learned. Years later, it's been, man, that was seven years ago, I've been teaching therapists ever since, teaching and coaching and training therapists on the business side ever since, and I really like it, and I get to do it full-time, and that's pretty cool. Uh, In this episode, sitting down with a fully booked alumni, fully booked is our training program on how to get clients consistently. Uh, It's our our, uh, one of our alumni, Mike Becker, therapist in private practice in uh, down in South Carolina. We're talking about why Mike became a therapist, what it's like to treat addiction in a private practice setting, how niche is niche enough, creating a practice for your clients and with your clients in mind, um, why confidence is key, why you should embrace failure. Basically, Mike's journey to becoming successful in private practice, uh, also a good bit about uh, his experience in our fully booked program. So fun episode, really good guy what's not to love. What's also not to love about our friends at sprucehealth.com. Spruce is a HIPAA compliant phone communication system to communicate with your clients and internally with your team. Did I mention it's completely HIPAA compliant? Did I also mention it's also really user-friendly? It's just easy to use for you and for your clients uh, to use it. So check it out. Don't be using Grasshopper or Google uh, Voice or any of that stuff. Just It's just not worth the risk, okay? Get a legit uh, communication system for your practice. Go to sprucehealth.com and start a free trial there. And then when you're ready to upgrade, use the code PPW20 for 20% off at checkout. That's PPW20 uh, for 20% off at checkout. It's also a great way just to support the podcast. It's a great way to say thanks. It's by using the great products and companies that uh, sponsor this show. All right. That being said, let's just dive right in. Mike, welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you on the podcast today. Um, I gave the the kind of um, professional or the the written um, bio and introduction before this, um, but what else should people know about uh, you? Who are you? How did you how did you get here? What what else should people know? Hey, John, um, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to uh, be talking to you today. Um, but yeah, um, so my name is Michael Becker, and I am I'm the uh, owner of Lighthouse Therapy Solutions and sole practitioner at this point. Um, I, I've uh, spent about a year, a year and a half or so building my practice to the point that it's at right now. Um, and and I'm su- it's been a super fun journey, um, hard and challenging journey, but something that I've been very passionate about and really enjoyed um, my growth along the way, as well as um, my clients or patients' um, growth as well and helping others. Um, but we, I mainly, I, I, my focus areas are um, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, addiction. But throughout this journey, I've kind of, you know, opened my own practice eyes and my own areas of expertise up 
um, and found that relationship issues are something I really enjoy doing and do a lot of in my practice as well, as well as anger management um, uh, um, and borderline personality disorder, um, amongst with, along with a lot of others as well. Nice. What what um, inspired you to start your practice and and also to make that leap into uh, into full time practice? Yeah, it's um, a good question. Well, I guess what inspired me to start my practice was my, the, having a private practice has, was was always sort of my vision since I decided I wanted to be a therapist at a relatively young age. I'd say about eighteen, nineteen years old is when I kind of knew this is what I wanted to do. Um, and at that point, I think like, like many of us, I didn't really know there was, there, you know, there are big agencies and there were other places to practice because the only experience I had with um, therapy was my own when I went to go see my, my therapist in college and then after college. Um, and that was private practice. And that's just kind of how I always saw it. Um, it wasn't until graduating grad school um, and kind of, kind of getting into the field in as a clinician that I saw, you know, usually our first jobs or sometimes are, you know, we stay in the, in the agency or bigger practice um, in area for a long time, um, that, that that was even a possibility or that that's where I could be working. Um, so that was a great experience for me, but having my own practice was always sort of my vision and my dream. And I guess that started because I was, a um, patient or client of therapy for many years and some, and I was honestly through my life through it and I wanted to give that back and this is the best way I see me being able to do that. Nice. Yeah, so you have a really clear kind of um, reason for doing it um, and for a really clear reason behind your clinical work as well. Um, what were the hardest things about uh, starting a business, becoming a business owner? Um, what, what were the hardest things early on? Um, the hardest things, I think, are a lot of the things that you talk about a lot in your podcast and on your Facebook page and in, in your program, and that's why it was so helpful for me, um, is basically just how do you set up a business? Um, you know, How do you attract clients? How do you market? How do you advertise? all these things that we don't ever learn about, even, you know, we don't learn about that in school. Um, if we're, we're lucky enough to be a part of a private practice after school that we get to see a part of that side, we might see, learn a little bit, but still when it's, when it's your business, you really don't have that direction or how to do that. So to that kind of trial and, and figuring that out, although that was some of the most um, exciting and, and fun parts of it, and it still is to this day. I'm still challenged and growing and you know, failing and making good decisions and bad decisions and trying new things, but that was also the challenging part of this whole thing. So having that some direction there was huge for me. Yeah, for sure. So um, in, in terms of uh, you know, figuring out how to overcome some of those early challenges, uh, what, what has really stood out to you? What do you, what do you wish you had known, um, back then? On the biz, more so on the business side. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or clinical or everything in between because yeah. they're quite interrelated, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Well, I think on starting with the clinical side, which I, I just had this conversation with someone, um, a grad student that came to my office that um, interviewed me uh, today or last week, um, that there's a lot of, like I was saying before, there's a lot of unknown, at least for me, from my personal experience, that mm. what happens after you graduate? You know, what kind of job will I be working? How much money will I be making? Where will I, what kind of yeah. population will I be serving? That kind of thing that I wish I would have done my due diligence and, and looked a little bit more into before I realized that it's going to take a while until I get to this like dream spot where I'm at now. Yeah. And a lot of, um, so that, that's kind of the clinical answer to that. Yeah. Um, the business side, that, I've that part is that, interesting. Um, just real quick. Uh, yeah. it's a real paradox because oftentimes the newest clinicians, meaning those that just finished graduate school end up with the hardest jobs with the with with oftentimes the clients who have the most severe issues and low resources right um right and we have very little training um you know when i got out of when i finished graduate school i had already been doing some agency work i worked with um i remember i worked with a client who had schizoaffective disorder and i was like in a community aid, right? I would drive him around in my car. We would get groceries. I would, you know, take him to the doctor and things like that. Um, and one particular moment, this, the, the, you know, the client had, uh, um, uh, like a psychotic break in the middle of the grocery store. Um, wow. and, uh, I was still in graduate school and I, re I remember that moment. Um, and then I think I had many moments kind of like that soon after graduate school, because I was still doing really intense work, um, in the community and agencies and things like that. Meanwhile, a lot of the most experienced clinicians were in their, you know, their comfy, uh, private practices, seeing clients who don't right. have as severe of issues. Right. And I was like, well, this, this seems backwards. Um, but it kind of is the That's way so it true. is. That's so true. That, uh, that is a very good point. And it's, it does seem a little bit backwards. You're right. Mm. Um, if it weren't for those experiences, though, I definitely never would have felt as um, confident in, in being able to start a private practice and being able to um, face whatever, you know, mm. whatever happens in, in, the, in the office. So very I definitely, true. you know, cherish those years a lot. Um, mm. But when I envisioned it, to go back to the initial um, question, when I envisioned this work, this is now, I'm doing now what I have always really dreamed of. Mm. Yeah, the, um, the early yeah. experiences, um, I agree. They, I, I wouldn't take them back for myself either. Uh, I remember a, a supervisor that I had at my first agency kind of tell me, hey, if you can make it through this, you'll be, you'll be, even better in private practice. You'll be even more prepared when you're, you know, seeing clients alone in an office um, and having to make even more, you know, having to make sometimes decisions in isolation, right? Especially if you, when you're a solo practitioner making decisions or you have a client who, you know, is feeling suicidal and you're trying to make that decision. Um, does this warrant, you know, a call or not or a hospitalization or not? Mm -hmm. And that, that agency work in, in, in large part really helps prepare you for, for, for some of those contexts and that, that can happen in private practice, right? Totally. hundred percent agree. Mm. And just because it's not as common in private practice, it definitely still happens. Um, yeah. So it's super important for sure. And, and what and, about treating, uh, sorry to interrupt. I got all sorts of questions for you. <laughs> cool. None of these are planned. Um, 
you know, I had someone on uh, recently who does a lot of addiction work and substance abuse work in private practice, and I'm still really curious because that's that's was never a big focus for me. What's it like to do that work in a private practice setting? You know, have you had clients show up intoxicated, or have you had to help clients, you know, get into rehab? Uh, what's what's a day in the life like for for doing that substance use work in the private practice setting? I mean, I think it can be some of the most rewarding um, work um, when it's successful. But I think as you know, and as a lot of people in the field know, um, addiction and substance use um, work oftentimes is not successful. And we have many Mm -hmm. fallbacks before we... uh, Oops. Uh, You just cut out there for a second. That person. Um, you were saying you were saying there's a lot of times many kind of setbacks and then it cut out. Yeah, so I was just saying, um, you know, the, a day in the life of working with um, addiction or substance abuse is there's a lot of it can be very rewarding and it is very rewarding, mm. but it can also be frustrating at times because, as we all know, as clinicians and people that have dealt with substance abuse or addiction, yeah. there's many fallbacks or relapses or um, steps backward before we take those steps forward again. Um, But yeah, there's also a lot of um, communication and collaboration with psychiatry, uh, medication management, and then, you know, with intensive outpatients or uh, inpatients or, you know, residential facilities um, for that higher level of care, whether they're either referring to higher level of care or coming out of higher level of care and coming back to, you know, outpatient Mm-hmm. Was there a time where you thought about basing your entire practice just around the the substance abuse work? Yes, that was um, kind of my initial idea was yeah. was sort of substance abuse um, addiction work. Um, but then I, I got into it and I realized, well, I didn't I didn't realize, but I I guess it, it hit me in the face that if you can't really isolate substance abuse and addiction because it comes with everything else that we talk about or that other you know, we deal with and therapy mm-hmm. and, and as a, as a, as a person, whether that's depression or anxiety or a relationship issue, I mean, we can't just isolate this, this one issue, um, and then treat just that because so many other things are, whether it's the family system are affected mm-hmm. by this, this use disorder. Um, yeah. so yeah. So, so then let's bring it back to your marketing. Um, if, you know, if the substance abuse is, is right, just one part of your practice, one door through which a client can enter your, your practice, um, Mm -hmm. how do you navigate that with, with your marketing or even with your website, for instance? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so after, you know, taking your course and kind of learning more about marketing, I do still sort of um, special, like target my marketing to whether it's substance abuse. So I've, I have an ad mm-hmm. out there for substance abuse. And then I also have an ad out there for depression and anxiety. Um, so I guess I kind of advertise to three separate specialties is mm-hmm. to answer the question. Um, and then, and then, you know, I, I feel equipped and you know, to, to treat all of those. And that kind of, I guess keeps coming people coming from all different angles and all different types of, um, stressors in their life. But yeah, I, I don't really, I sort of just kind of took a, a handful of them that I feel really, really, that I, I'm really good at treating and mm-hmm. kind of 
aimed an ad towards each of those. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to a therapist who's um, maybe trying to figure out this whole niche thing, which is obviously a big topic in our industry and a big, uh, often a head scratcher for private practitioners? What, what would you say to them? Yeah, so that's a really good question too. Because as I, you know, follow you, I also follow a lot of other people in the field that I, you know are mentors. Um, and I've heard everything from you have to niche down or else you can't be successful. And then I've heard, you know, you don't need to niche down. And and my experience, I don't consider my practice necessarily a a niche practice by any means. Um, I think, I I think you, I think you just need to find out what you're really good at. I I think it's more about marketing towards that person Mm -hmm. instead of what that, instead of necessarily what, that person might be going through at that time because Mm -hmm. we need to connect. We need to connect to the person that's sitting across from us first before anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't do that. It doesn't matter what we're talking about in here. It doesn't matter what we're treating. So we need to make sure we're bringing people in the door Mm -hmm. that are going to connect with us, that are going to have a relationship with us, that are going to trust us. And I would that should be a bigger concern than what your specialty or what your niche is actually going to be. Yeah. Now, so what about when um, when you get a client on the phone or a potential client on the phone? What what was it like for you to um, you know develop your own process for that? Handle those calls? Like make sure it's a good uh, it's a good fit. Explain how you work. Right? How have how has it been for you to uh, navigate those initial calls that are so important? Um, at first, that was definitely one of a nerve wracking. Um, task to take on especially Mm -hmm. when you know you're you're representing you know your own practice now and when you don't have a lot of people coming at first it's it's like every call you know you you really want to get that person in yeah yeah Um, i really need this one yeah yeah exactly but um as time goes on you know just like anything else we become more familiar and more comfortable with things and we get better at things. And also, so the pressure comes off because we know now at this point, I know I have 25 people coming every week. And, I, and, I, and now I can really, you know, I really want to make sure that person, like I just said, that person that coming is the person that's, I'm going to be the best therapist for that person. I know that mm-hmm. when I, after that phone call. And if not, then I want to help that person find the, the therapist that in town that I think is going to be the best one for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so navigating those calls I think it's it's just it's about you know what's asking that person what they're going through, um, connecting with it, making sure you understand, making sure, you know, feeling that vibe of is that is that conversation you know flowing, um, is this mm-hmm. something that you feel you can really help well, uh, and I guess just using that that intuition that, that I think a lot of us therapists have mm-hmm. and. Um, kind of being able to tell, is this the right fit or not? And and also we have to remember, which I, I like to do a lot in my practice, is that I built this practice and this office for the person I'm helping, not yeah. for me. So that I want to ask that person, it's really if they think it's a good fit, not really mm. so much me. I mean, if it's something I totally don't treat, then yeah, you know, we got to find someone else for you and I'm happy to do that. But I want to ask that person, you know, do they feel comfortable with me? Do they think this is a good fit? And 
if they think so and there's not, nothing, no red flags that pop out to me like, nah, I don't think this is going to be, I'm not the right guy for this, then it's, I want to empower them to make, you know, a lot of these decisions because this is, this is their life and I'm, you know, this is a huge decision and, and mm. I want, after, more than anything, I want this person to get help, whether it's from me, the best help, and whether it's from me or somebody else, I just want them to get to the best place possible. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I like that approach because not only does it um, serve the client better, but it also takes the pressure off of you to kind of sell yourself, right? Which is, I think, part exactly. of what what a lot of therapists struggle with when it comes to these initial calls, especially if you're when you're just starting out um, uh, in your practice. Definitely, yeah. Mm. And that's something that a lot of us are are we're not comfortable with, and that's not something I think that comes natural to most people that get into this type of work it's we we didn't get into this work to you know sell ourselves um it's so it's uncomfortable at first but you but i like like you just said and i and i said before i like to take that, that pressure off of myself by empowering them to make sure that they feel comfortable because that's what matters most in, at the end of the day anyway yeah that's that's huge one one thing I've noticed about you, Mike, is that uh, you know since I've known you and since um, you know we had a call for before you joined uh, fully booked, and is that you've really grown in your confidence as a uh, as a private practitioner, right? Do you, Thank you. Do you feel like that's true? And if so, like, how, what do you think has has helped you um, in that regard? Yeah, I definitely feel that's true, and I think that. Um, again, that be, that comes, I guess, with um, with succeeding mm-hmm. in and what what I've set out to do, and not that I'm and not that, you know, I feel I've reached my full potential or my peak, and there's more things out there I want to do, and there's more people out there I want to help, and I want to grow the practice more to to help more people, but you know, this first step was a huge probably the scariest, I think, in my, for me personally, and in my opinion, to leave a a good full-time job that I had, um, slowly building kind of sometimes feeling like maybe this isn't going in the right direction. And then finally figuring out those puzzle pieces that worked. And, and again, I mean, without your program and without you, I don't think that I would have necessarily figured this out nearly as quickly. Um, so I guess just getting to this point and seeing, hey, I had a vision and I broke that vision down into, you know, steps and, mm. and smaller goals and and I got there and I that makes me feel very confident um, just in general as in this field. And, and not I think the practitioner side of me, not to sound cocky, I've always been relatively confident in that aspect. And I guess that's what made me feel opening a private practice was a good idea because I think I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, but the building this private practice was not necessarily something I felt I might not be, I might be, may or may not be equipped for. Um, mm-hmm. So doing that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, but getting into this field and being the clinician, being a therapist is something I knew from the start that I could really be good at this because I've been through most of these things that I see people for and mm-hmm. I can see it from a practitioner side, but I can also feel it from a, a, a personal side um Mm. and i'm not afraid to i'm not afraid uh i'm not really i'm not afraid i'm very real i like Mm -hmm. i don't i tell my clients that um i like to share that because i think it makes a big difference Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, the person that helped me a lot shared that with me and that made a huge difference for me. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I think it's just, you know, I want to continue to grow and continue to get better. Um, but I'm happy, happy with what's happening right now. Mm, nice. The confidence piece is huge because really the confidence is at the heart of your marketing, right? Um, the a person offering anything needs to believe wholeheartedly in what they're offering or else even the best marketing in the world, the best copy, the best, you know, the best ads or whatever um, are really not going to go anywhere if the clinician doesn't believe in their ability to help clients. What's interesting about this is um, I see this a lot, right? Or I even see it for people who therapists who are banging their head against the wall, you know, a year later, even though they've done the right steps or let's say they've, you know, they've taken fully booked, like they've gone through my program or whatever, but it's not working for them, right? It's like, well, but Mm -hmm. it works for all these other people. Why didn't it work for them? And I think a lot of times it comes down to that belief and your ability to help a client. And you don't have to know everything, but you have to stick with it and you have to convey to clients that you're going to help them solve things. Even if you end up in unfamiliar waters, which we all, we, we do all the time as clinicians, right? There's no way Definitely. we can have gone through everything they've gone through or treated sure. everything that we're seeing. Um, it, it, what's interesting is there's also in research, there's also outcome studies on this too, right? It's, um, uh, you know, how much the client believes the therapist, uh, well, how, yeah, how much the, the the therapist believes that they can impact change for the client, help the client get an outcome. Um, it's the same thing when I was learning clinical hypnosis. We learned and looked at the research that basically said a lot of the outcome for clinical hypnosis has to do, you know, with the therapist's belief that, hey, this is going to work for you and then conveying that belief to the client, right? Um because at the end of the day, it's like, well, we don't know why clinical hypnosis works, but it does. And especially huh. when the belief right, is okay. there, it really does. So that research kind of backs up this this necessity of 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 confidence, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah, that definitely. Um, I think you're you're right. I mean, I think we do have to believe as um, clinicians that we we are the right person for the job and we can help this person. I think that makes a big difference with us, with our marketing and our growing and our uh, trusting our own journey. And then definitely when we reach that spot where we have the um, person we're trying to help sitting on the couch across yeah. from us. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Well, what else are we missing from the, the conversation, Michael? What else do you want to share with people um, listening right now as they're you know, figuring out their own practices and, and what's next and how to, how to keep growing? Um, I think, um, like we just kind of talked about trust, trust the process. Um, don't be scared to try new things. Um, you know, talk to a lot of people that have been there before that have done what you're trying to do. Um, and find people like yourself, John, and like myself, I, I, that are willing to share their wins with others and that are willing to help you grow because there's a lot of people out there that, you know, that don't view other clinicians across the street as competition and we believe that you know the more the better and and you know we can there's we can help more people more people we can help the better and you know i uh i think being willing to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and ask for help and and um you know just talk to who you can and and 
and give back to others. If you give, you're going to get. And I, and I really believe in that. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of my mindset and, and kind of just that whole trusting the process, believe in yourself, um, keep plugging away, try things, fail, and then try something else, mm -hmm. fail again, and then try something else and it might work, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that persistence that's huge, right? Um, I think a lot of times we want results right away, and when we don't get them right away, we see it as a failure, we see it as a, a setback, right? Or maybe it's a sign that I'm not meant, you know, for private practice. I've heard I've heard plenty of people say things like that, almost like, well, the universe has decided that this isn't for me. But I would say most uh, success in any business has to do mostly with just pushing forward, taking consistent action, realizing there's going to be lows. And the only reason that highs exist is because of the lows, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't really know the difference. And right, totally. if you can normalize some of that and realize it's normal, right? For instance, if you have a day where three clients cancel, or let's say all of them cancel, right? It's kind of the way it goes. And you can ride that out and you can trust your business. You can trust that next week you're going to have even more sessions or whatever, right? Or when you zoom out and look at your whole month income, it's going to, it's going to balance out. If you can trust that, then, then I think it sets you up for a good long career in private practice. If, if you can't, it's, it's hard, right? It's going to be really hard. It's going to be a very anxiety provoking process all along. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. It's, I think it's all about the persistency and our perception of what, what happens. Um, mm -hmm. We can view, like you said, a failure as a sign that, you know, we can't do this or, or we're not meant to do this, or we can view that failure as being that much closer to figuring out what is going to work for us. Mm. So it's all about the perception, I think, and, and keeping that positive mindset like you're talking mm. about. It's, it's interesting because um, obviously we don't always promote our failures, but um, even as an example, you know, uh, Fully Booked had uh, its own missteps and failures early on. Uh, when I first tried to launch it, when I first created a, you know, my first course before that, it went pretty miserably. I, I, not only did I not make money, I, I lost money on it, you know, um, mm -hmm. and those, I wouldn't even call them failures. They, they, they were just happenings. They were just things that happened. Um, right. If it weren't for those, then I really wouldn't have gotten the program turned around, right, or course corrected to um, to having success, right, and having good um, good outcomes and good outcomes for, for our, our clients and students. Um, it's the same clinically, right? At some point, clinically, you have to put yourself out there. You have to just see, you know, see the client, right? You can only read a textbook so much before you need to sit down with the client and start figuring it out and failing, right, and making a misstep or you know, having a moment where you zoned out and didn't hear the client at all and you're too embarrassed to ask like for them to repeat themselves. You, yeah. you have to have those those missteps clinically to to keep moving forward and to evolve into some degree of, I would say, mastery as a clinician, right? They say it takes seven years to achieve mastery of something. Um, I'd say it takes seven years as a therapist to even just feel like you know what you're doing, you know. Um, <laughs> and even then, I don't know if it's truly mastery, but um, because people are so... Com complex and ever evolving, but you know, just to to hang in there and to see those those learning curves as as natural, I think is huge. Yes, I totally totally agree with that. And just like you said, there, I guess there really 
the only way to fail is to stop trying. I know that's cliche and people have heard that before, but just like with your program, that was just a step to getting you closer to where you're at now. And same thing with clinically with myself and, and my practice, you know, I've had plenty of failures along the way, or I guess we shouldn't even call them failures. Like you just mentioned, because they were just steps to, um, being where I am now. And I have plenty of those steps to make in the future and clinically as well. That's how you learn, you know, Mm -hmm. you make a mistake or you, you know, you think, Hey, you know, I did something. I, 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 maybe I could have done this a little bit better or try it this way. Mm -hmm. And, and you figure out, I guess you, you gotta be willing to be vulnerable. Like we said before, and be willing to put yourself out there. Absolutely. Well, Mike, we're right at time here. Um, I appreciate you so much. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you taking a taking a chance on uh, on joining Fully Booked and you know working through it. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this. I think it's really fruitful, and um, you're a good you're a good uh, example of persistence and sticking with it. And um, and again, having a really clear mission as to why you're doing this work in the first place, I think is key and a big part of your story. So thank you again for being here. And um, I, I just appreciate it a lot. Yeah, thank you, John. I really appreciate you um, asking me to be part of your, uh, to, to, be, to interview me. And uh, since I started your program, I'm not sure exactly how long ago that was, but, you know, about probably a year, year and a half ago or so, I would listen to these and watch um, these interviews that you've had with other people that were successful through your program. And I've kind of, that was one of my goals too, was to be the person on the other end of this phone call with you. So you've helped me achieve one of my goals today too, actually. <laughs> um, and uh, this was awesome and a lot of fun. And I look forward to it and appreciate what you've done for me. Really cool. Mike, thanks again. I, I appreciate it a ton and, uh, and I look forward to talking to you soon. Uh, You too, John. Take care. Hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, if you're enjoying the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening, probably iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, but it now could even be Spotify. We are on Spotify. Otherwise, um, check out our friends at sprucehealth.com or download the Spruce app. Um, Check out a free trial, and then uh, when you're ready to upgrade, you can use the code PPW20 for 20% off at checkout. Uh, Otherwise, let a few friends know about this show. Send them a link to your favorite episode um, and uh, um, they can enjoy it just like you. Um, Otherwise, that's it. That's your homework as always. Hope you have a good week. Take care of yourselves and I will see you next week. Same time, same place. All right, cheers. Bye.